everyone today. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are so happy to have you with us today. If you're watching us online, we welcome you as a part of this service. Pray that you're blessed wherever you are. And uh, I want to take this opportunity to wish a special happy Mother's Day to my mother and my grandmother. What a privilege to be able to do that in person with them today. What a blessing. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, I think I have preached 20 plus Mother's Day services now in my ministry, maybe a few more than 20, but at least 20. And I think this is probably the strangest passage I have ever used or started with in a Mother's Day message. Nevertheless, I feel like it's what the Lord has directed me to share with you today. So 2 Timothy 3, beginning with verse number 1. Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. You can can read the book of Revelation. You can read um, the book of Daniel. I think in the book of Ezekiel. But I know in the the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, there there are some prophecies and things concerning the end times that, uh, as, as Brother Grossbach touched on a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure if anybody really truly has the exact correct answer. Many of those things are said in the way of symbolism, and so we don't know the exact specifics. They give us an idea, but, but, but the exact application is yet to be seen. But I, I, I find it interesting because in the verses I'm reading to you, what I'm about to read to you, it doesn't take, it doesn't take some kind of prophecy expert. It doesn't take somebody that has spent years and years and years trying to understand the four horses and the vials and the whatever else. It just takes a basic understanding of some things to get the fact that we can see that based on what Paul told Timothy, we can understand what the last days would be like, and we also can see that we are living in those days. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And so the next couple of verses, Paul is telling Timothy what the characteristics of those last days would be. Men would be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, meaning There is a profession of faith. There is is a profession of commitment to Christianity. But they deny the power 
thereof. Paul says, from such, turn away. The Amplified Version puts some of these words in a little clearer way. Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days will come, set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Does anybody feel like that alone? Describes 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. Lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth. Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good, haters of good. Haters of good. I don't know what the updates are. I don't know how much it's happened, but in the news the last couple of days, there has been news articles on major news outlets that today pro-abortionists would be showing up at churches to protest against those that are against abortion. Haters of good they will be treacherous they will be treacherous betrayers rash and inflated with self-conceit they will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God for although they hold a form of piety true religion they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it their conduct belies The genuineness of their profession. Their conduct contradicts the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of being here today. Thank you for this day that is set aside to recognize and honor our mother's Thank you for the privilege of being able to spend this time this morning together in your presence. Thank you for your spirit that's already been ministering and working in this place, already touching hearts and lives. And now, Father, I pray, speak to us today. Lord, there are so many voices that are trying to get our attention, trying to get our allegiance. There are so many voices trying to influence our lives We've got to hear your voice, your word above every other voice. I pray that you would give us ears to hear in this place today, hearts that are open to receive what your word would say. I trust you today and I depend on you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. A couple of days ago I read on a Facebook where someone not trying to stir up 
contention or debate or argument, but someone posed the question, what does natural affection or what does without natural affection mean? And I have to acknowledge to you today, be transparent with you, that my assumptions of what those three words meant has been inaccurate. Because I have assumed that what Paul was talking about, and I will read in just a moment another place where those same words are written, I have assumed that what was being referenced of without natural affection had to do with homosexuality. And while the Bible is very clear on that topic, I have understood in the last several days that that's actually not what these three words are talking about. These three words come from one Greek word, and that word means hard-hearted towards kindred. Hard-hearted towards kindred. Hard-hearted towards family. Hard-hearted towards those that should be dear to us. Adam Clark's commentary says about this phrase, without natural affection, that it means without that affection which parents bear to their young and which the young bear to their parents. An affection which is common to every class of animals. Consequently, men without it are worse than brutes. Paul says that one of the indicators of the last day would be a lack of natural affection. The love that should be there between us. The love that should be in families. Can I tell you that this statement is not original, but I'll just say it. The family is the building blocks of society. And it is no wonder that all the way back to the very beginning of time, the enemy has tried to destroy the family. All the way back to the garden when it was just Adam and Eve, the enemy immediately be- began to try to disrupt the family, to try to get the family out of divine order because I think somehow the enemy understood that healthy, strong families produce healthy, strong societies, healthy, strong churches. I I, want to say I understand. I've, I've been mindful of this for a long time now. In a setting like this, there are people that are coming from all kinds of different 
circumstances, experiences in life. And, and, and so therefore, what you may say with the intent of trying to help or challenge one can be something that is painful and hurtful to someone else. So please understand, I have no desire to do that today. But part of what I do have a desire today is to challenge those that still have the opportunity. To challenge those that the future is more ahead of them than the past is behind them. So I realize some of you sit here today as adults that have come from broken marriages and those of you that are here today that have come from broken homes and I have no intent or desire to say anything today that would hurt you. So I challenge you, I ask you please to just hear me whatever I say or preach today that it's out of a heart of a sincere desire and motive. Because the bottom line is the enemy and the world is continuing to attack day after day. And again, the Bible says, I'll read to you in a moment perhaps some things that indicate it. But the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. We think that the challenges and the things we're facing in our world today, the immorality that we're facing is something new. It's nothing new. It's more in our face, I think, than it's ever been because of social media and because of, because of TV and the internet and all the different outlets that there now are that there used to not be. But the, 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 the problems, the root of it all has always been there. The enemy knows that if he can disrupt homes and disrupt families, he's going to impact lives. I've now had the chance to observe firsthand, be directly involved with people whose parents are divorcing of all ages. And I've come to the understanding that it doesn't matter how old you are. If your parents get divorced, it affects you. It doesn't matter if you're a grown adult that already has your family, you're married, it affects you. It may not affect you, it doesn't affect you in the same way as the child, as the teenager, but it affects you. And the enemy is well aware of that. I pray that somehow today there would be something that would rise up within the side of every one of us that has a fresh desire to defend what God created. To protect and preserve what God created. I don't care. I'm not here to preach to you a political message today. I'm here to preach to you the Word of God. Nevertheless, I don't care what laws the government passes. I don't care what laws Washington tells us that things are now okay, that this book has said are not okay. I don't care what things Washington approves. I don't care what laws get passed to tell us what is now acceptable that used to not be acceptable. Because any nation can make whatever laws they want to make but whatever laws a nation makes are subject to the laws of God because you can change the laws of a nation but you can't change the moral laws with which God created us with which God put inside of every one of us and isn't it amazing that the more we change as a society the more messed up our world gets 
more we attack the principles of the Word of God. I'm not here to get involved. And uh, Some of you think I should and I don't. And others of you don't think I should. And so you're okay if I don't. I'm not here to get involved in politics. I know there's a lot of pastors that are very involved in politics. I don't believe that's my calling. If I was supposed to be in politics, I'd have been called to be a politician. I was called to be a pastor and they're not one and the same. I wasn't called to change the world. I was called to help people come out of the world. The church is the called out ones. I, honestly, I'm not trying to judge those that are in that, that are preachers and in politics. If that's what their conscience allows them to do, so be it. But I don't find that to be my responsibility. Because when I read the Word of God, I find out this world is never going to get fixed. Until judgment comes. But what I found out also is, no matter how crazy the world gets, there's always going to be a church. And there's always going to be a people of God. And while the may be, the church, the world may be going down, excuse the pun, I guess, but the church is going up. Because where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. It doesn't matter how ungodly this world gets. There's always going to be grace. There's always going to be mercy. There's always going to be a hope. It may not be hope in this life, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. Blows my mind. Who would have ever thought that here in the good old U.S. of A. That on a Sunday people would be concerned. Because there are those that are outraged. Over trying to protect life. Who would have ever thought that. Pastors would have to tell their usher teams. Don't want to overreact. Don't want to be whatever. But just we need to be watchful tomorrow. Who would have ever thought that? Paul said perilous times. Perilous times. Because men would become lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God, without natural affection. Romans 1, 28, Paul says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, to do those things which are not right. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers. And here it is again, same three words, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Permit me to read, I don't know if I'll read all that I have here, but just a little bit to give you a little more context and understanding of this term without natural affection. Adam Clark's commentary says that Astargus from 
the, the Greek word astargos from, yeah, never mind. It means to possess natural love for blood relatives, affection. The positive of this is to possess natural love for blood relatives without the attachment which nature teaches the young of all animals to have to their mothers and the mothers to have to their young. So Paul is saying one of the things that's going to take place is there will be a loss of this attachment, this affection, this love. The pagans in general have made no scruple to expose child, to expose the children they did not think proper to bring up and to dispatch or to do away with their parents when they were grown old or past labor. Isn't it amazing more and more in our world today it's about the right to get rid of the young and the right to get rid of the old. But again, the bottom line is, according to history, it's nothing new. Barnes Notes says this, This expression denotes the lack of affectionate regard toward their children. The attachment of parents to children is one of the strongest in nature. And nothing can overcome it but the most confirmed and established wickedness. And yet the And yet the apostle charges on the pagan generally the lack of this affection. Paul is telling the church that the world is struggling with this lack of affection. But just because that's what the world is dealing with does not mean that's what the church should be dealing with. He doubtless refers here to the practice so common among pagans of exposing their children or putting them to death. This crime so abhorrent to all the feelings of humanity was common among the pagan and is still. The Canaanites, we are told, sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. Manasseh among the Jews imitated their example and introduced the horrid custom of sacrificing children to Molech and set the example by offering his own. I'm not going to read on, but he goes on to talk about how that population control or the getting rid of children and infants that were not deemed to be good enough. That's been going on for centuries. I say it because sometimes we think that we've got it worse than the early church had it and we're dealing with more difficult things. No, we're not. They dealt with it too. Paul had to challenge them and, 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 and make sure that they were not letting the practices of the world become a part of the church. Sacrificing. What I read to you here is not talking figuratively. It's talking about the literal sacrificing of children to gods as a part of worship of Pagan gods. No, we we can say that we don't practice that anymore. It's unheard of basically to hear of parents sacrificing, literally sacrificing their children. Them physically dying because of 
them being sacrificed. No, we, we don't do that anymore. Literally. But we haven't stopped. We've just become more dignified with it. Because now we don't sacrifice our children literally to the God of Molech. We sacrifice our children to the God of education. And you can, you can interpret that in a number of ways now. Used to, if I were to say that, I meant the fact that we prioritize our children and the getting of their education above their relationship and walk with God. But now it's the fact that it's our educational system that is trying to reframe the way our kids are thinking. We used to be concerned about it in high school. Now it's all the way down into kindergarten and preschool. If we lose our natural affection, who is it that's going to work to protect and preserve the next generation? Who is it that's going to guard and try to keep them? It's not going to be the world. The world's the one that's promoting the sacrificing of them. The world is the one that's promoting the compromising. The last days. The last days. It'll be this attitude of a lack of connection and affection, sacrificing. I could go down the list, sports and other things that we prioritize. I saw a, I saw a picture the other day. Somebody looked like it was a big banner at their house, put up at their house. I don't remember the exact statistic, but I think it's something like less than 2%. It may have been lower than that. Less than 2% of athletes will ever play professional sports. Less than 2%, I believe it was. It was an extremely small number. We'll play professional sports. But how many, Brother Mott, how many parents? I, I, I've heard, I've, I've talked to uh, Brother, Brother Alan McGuckians, one of them I've heard from, and, and we've talked about it with regards to lacrosse. But it's not just lacrosse, it's, it's all sports. I mean, from, from the youngest of ages, parents are already working towards preparing and that, that banner said whatever the percentage was that will ever play, play professional sports, it went on to say that 100% of us is going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. A very small handful will ever make it success, successfully in the sports world, but everyone's going to stand before. I, I, I've got four, again, if you're a guest, i got four I guess I can still call them kids. They're... Seems like no matter how old you get, no matter how old they are, they're still your kids. So, Again, the youngest is 19. and I, I, I want them to succeed naturally. I want, them, I want them to be smart. I want them to be educated. But more than that, I want them to be saved. 
More than some kind of great education and natural success. I don't want them just to be saved. But I want to experience, I want them to experience the life that Jesus Christ has for them now. Because as some of you can testify today, it's not about how much money you have in the bank that makes you happy. It's not about the cars you drive that make you happy. It's not the house you live in that makes you happy. It's not the brand of the clothes that you wear that makes you happy. Because there's some people that have all of that that they need and more and are miserable. But then there's some others that have found out, as the old song says, take this whole world just give me Jesus because if you have everything naturally speaking but don't have Jesus you are the poorest person there is but if you hardly have anything naturally speaking but you've got Jesus you're the wealthiest person there is take this whole world just give me Jesus What is it? How is it? That's such a bond that there is, especially that between a mother and a child. Could ever cause that to be broken. The sacrifices that parents and mothers have made for their children. I've heard it once, I've heard it dozens of times. Interviews of guys that have made it to pro sports, succeeded in pro sports, and they will tell you that the single most influential person in their life that impacted them and helped them to get to where they were wasn't a coach, wasn't a teacher, and there's great things that teachers and coaches and all those people do, but time and time again, it was my mom. I want to thank my mom. I want to give a shout out to my mom. Usually what they're saying is, I didn't, I didn't have a good life. I didn't come from a good neighborhood. I didn't come from a good family. But I had a mother who wasn't without natural affection. I had a mother who had natural affection. I, I had a mother who was willing to sacrifice and, and make adjustments for my well-being. Paul says that would be something that is lost more and more in perilous times. There's a story, there's some pretty interesting and odd stories in the Bible if you're not aware of that. There's some wonderful, great stories, but then there's some of them that make you scratch your head. And this is one of those, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 21. There is some justice that is being done for the sins of that some have committed, particularly King Saul. And the Gibeonites, the ones that he broke a covenant, an agreement with, David is now trying to make amends with them, and so he asks them what he can do 
to fix what was done to them. And they basically asked for offspring of Saul. And so they took seven sons. 2 Samuel 21 and 8 says, But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armani and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the, the, the Meholathite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock, from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven, and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. Her sons have been hung and killed. She makes up her mind that no animals are going to eat of their bodies. That that last verse is really vague because it just says that the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field. She did that until until the barley harvest. Anybody want to take a guess at how long it was that day and night Rizpa stayed there by the bodies of her sons to keep those animals off of them. Anybody got a guess? How many of you think, you know, seven, eight days, a couple of days, seven, eight, anybody? I don't, that was, that, that was my initial, okay, I mean, man, you know, three or four days, a week or two, you're obviously pretty smart people and know by the tone in which I'm asking this. It is said that she did this for somewhere around five months. For five months, day and night, her number one priority was the protection of her dead sons. They they were dead. Their, Their life is over. How easy, how simple... Would it for her to have just gone about her life and worked on grieving their loss and just moved on? But for five 
months, day and night, she stood guard, beating off the birds, beating off the animals that were trying to come and destroy her children who were dead. Can I ask some moms today, no matter how old your children are, but can I ask some moms today that maybe you got some kids that at this point they've wandered some. If Rizba can spend five months trying to beat off the animals that want to come to destroy her dead sons, should you give up? Should you give up beating off the enemies that want to come and destroy your children? That maybe they're not where they need to be right now. Maybe their relationship with God is not what it needs to be. But rather than just wiping your hands of it and walking away, what if you would make up your mind to be like Rispa that says, I refuse to sit by and let the attempts and the attacks of the enemy destroy our I realize it may not look good. I realize it may not, it may look like it is over with, but I've got some natural affection. I've still got some natural affection, and I'm going to do whatever it is I can do to protect and preserve because I believe that God is able, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how impossible it may seem. Let me give you as I try to wind down here. Let me give you a couple of examples of the power and the impact of that natural affection. Paul says there's a problem of not having it. Let's see what that natural affection might be able to do. One example, and there's many, I'm just going to give you two. One example is found in 1 Samuel chapter number 1, a lady by the name of Hannah had no children. She was desperate to have a child. And she says to the Lord, she vowed a vow, 1 Samuel 1.11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaiden, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. She said, I, I got to have a son. I got to have a child. But I, I, I'm not asking it just simply for my own benefit and my own pleasure. If you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. And that son became one of, if not the greatest prophets in the history of the children of Israel. The other story, and this one's even, to me, a little bit more amazing than that, and that's the story of Moses. And I'm just going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 11 that references this story. Hebrews 11 and verse 23 says, By faith Moses when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child 
And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the, than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I, I want you just to just think about this for a moment. I realize probably every person in this room has some degree of familiarity with the story of Moses. But just think about it in this context this morning. Here is a, here is a baby that is born to a family that is in slavery. At the time he was born, there was a decree that all the men, male children were supposed to be killed. His parents decide to risk their lives to save him. And in the course of that, Pharaoh's daughter, the king of Egypt's daughter, finds Moses and adopts him. Brings him into her family, her house. And so he goes from being born to a family in slavery, to being adopted, not just by a family, but by the king of that nation. The story is when Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, she asks for somebody that will nurse the child and take care of him and His sister is there and volunteers her mother. Wouldn't it be pretty cool, moms, if you got paid to take care of? Your children paid to feed your house. She gets paid to take care of her own son. I can't point you to a scripture. I can't show you a verse that says this. But here's what I believe with everything in me. That for the length of time that Moses' mother was caring for him as an infant, even perhaps a couple of years into his life, I believe that as she was feeding him and caring for him, she was telling him things. That he had no ability to understand and comprehend at that point. I, I believe she was telling him, Moses, I, I, I got an idea of what life's going to be like for you. I know what you're going to get offered, Moses. I know how wonderful things are going to be, but I just want you to know, Moses, you're not one of them. I just want you to know, Moses, no matter how wonderful life may be with the Egyptians, you're not an Egyptian because, Moses, you're a Hebrew. You're a Hebrew, Moses, and and I know how life looks right now, Moses, but we've got some promises. I know we're in bondage right now, Moses, but it's not going to always be this way. So no no matter how good it looks, no matter how good it gets, I just want you to remember, Moses, 
If in fact that's what she did, and I really believe that's what she did, there's no way that an infant, there's no way that a toddler understood that. But I believe she put it into him, and so now to the verses that I read to you, the Bible says he's come to years. He's now come to the point of having to decide what is the rest of my life going to be like? Is the rest of my life going to continue in Pharaoh's household, living the best life, having the best there is, eating the best food, wearing the best clothes, living in the nicest of houses, all of the wonderful things that anyone could ask for, having all of those things, or will I give that up to go back to my family that's in bondage, my family that's living this very difficult life, Bible says when he was come to years and he made that decision, he made the decision. Not going to keep living with what Egypt has to offer. Not going not to give the rest of my life to what Egypt has to give to me. But that one who's got a connection with me like nobody else has put something in me. That has never left me. Can I remind some parents today, the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And what it does not say is that they will never depart. It doesn't say that. It says train up a child in the way they should go and when they are old, they will not depart. So if you put some seeds in there, if you've sown some seeds into that heart, you, you're not of this world. You're, you're not born to be a part of this world. They, they may get off track for a while, but you can trust the power of the seed of the Word of God to do its job. In the meantime, there's going to have to be some days where like Rizpah, you're beating off the birds of prey and you're beating off the things that are trying to fully destroy their life. The prodigal son almost, almost, I think sometimes we forget and we think and we say the prodigal son ate the pig's food. That's not what it said. It says when he was about to eat, the pigs that he was feeding, when he was so desperate he was about to eat their food, he came to himself, remembered the servants just the servants forget the sons and the daughters forget the family just the servants have it better in my father's house I, I, I feel like in some ways I'm kind of all over the map here this morning and as long as as long as that's what God wants I, I'm not here to give you a great speech know if you give a speech it's supposed to be three points that are connected in an introduction and a conclusion I'm not a speech maker can I can I I don't think this is the primary focus of the message but I just can't seem to get away from it can I challenge some moms but not just some moms some parents today maybe you've got some kids that 
They wandered. They strayed. Give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. I had a, I, I don't understand this, but one time in the course of my 30 years or so of ministry, I had a parent tell me, I've tried. I've tried to get them to live for God. I've tried. I'm done. How can you ever, how can you ever do that? There's an affection. There's a connection that God created that the enemy wants to destroy. If we've ever fought, folks, 2022 is the time to fight. And I'm not talking about banners and posters. I'm talking about on your knees somewhere talking about just you and Jesus because he's the one that really has the ability to change it to fix it to restore it to renew it God forbid that what Paul said would be an indicator of the last days would be one of the things by which we see in the world that it's the last days that that would ever be true of us in the church I want you to stand if you would please I want you to do me a favor if you don't mind would you just whether it's the grabbing of a hand or putting a hand on a shoulder, would you just reach over, connect right now with the person beside you? We, we may do more than this in a second. I don't know. But I just, right now, could we, I want us to just pray for one for another. And I want us to pray whether I realize, I guess a good portion of this message has been sort of directed to a specific group of people but the bottom line is every one of us in this place whether you're a mom or a dad whether you're married single doesn't matter what the doesn't matter what the specifics are of of of, of your life the enemy is out to wear away at those precious valuable things that God has created the way in which God created us. Would you, just, would you just pray for that person next to you that God would strengthen them today. With all of the all of the things that are bombarding our minds and our spirits, every, every direction we are being attacked from today, perilous times that we are living in that the enemy wants us to just become weary the scripture says be not weary in well doing for in due season you shall reap it's no wonder the enemy wants you just to give up it's, 
It's no wonder the enemy wants you just to give up on your kids, give up on your marriage, give up on your family. He knows. Not only does he know the impact and the consequences, but he also knows the things that may look hopeless and seem impossible to us. God is able. The name of Jesus, help us today. Help us today. Help us today. Oh God, don't let it ever be of us that we become without natural affection. Not only naturally speaking, but spiritually. As believers, God, don't let us lose that natural affection that we are to have for one another as members of the family of God. In the name of Jesus, 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 Lord, it may be the signs of perilous times, it may be the indicators of the last days for the world, but doesn't have to be what affects us as the church. Doesn't have to be the characteristics of the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Jesus name. I Jesus worship you in spirit and truth. Hallelujah. I promise to give my life as an offering Thank you, of sacrifice to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Once again, thank you for being here today. Again, to our mothers, pray you have a wonderful, blessed day. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Why don't you take a moment and greet someone, somebody nearby you don't know, maybe introduce yourself.